Hello and welcome to the Why I Knit podcast. My name is Dr. Mia Hobbs and I'm a clinical psychologist who is passionate about knitting and its benefits for our mental health. Each week on the podcast, I interview a different knitter about why they knit and how it benefits their mental health. For the last episode of Series 4, I'm delighted to be joined by Marcelin of Hay Brownberry. Marcelin is a knitter, multi-crafter, designer, teacher and host of the Hay Brownberry podcast. So hi Mars, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much Mia, thank you for having me. You're really welcome. So I always start with asking where your story with knitting began, so where did yours start? Uh, Mine began in the shelves of a local library. In 2005, I decided that I actually wanted to take up crochet. Okay. My mom is a prolific maker and crochet was one of the primary things that I watched her do growing up. And I thought of approaching a hobby of some kind and narrowed it down to something involving string (laughs) (laughs) something involving thread, knowing that if I needed assistance, uh, my mom having crocheted and done macrame and sewing would be able to help me out. And I wasn't aware of, you know, YouTube or other online resources at the time. So I thought if I'm going to start a hobby, I'll go to the library and find books on this hobby. And I essentially went to the library and found crochet books and the knitting books were on the same shelf. And just by way of browsing, I thought, okay, well, I'll start with the crochet and see if I like this yarn craft thing. And I like the patterns in these knitting books. Maybe it'll be an easy move between the two. And it Mm -hmm. turned out that it was. Um, I hadn't, I had had my um, kids already and I was, you know, in that family life routine and working and other things. And I was content with those pieces, but I've always been a person who needs a creative outlet. So I was sort of escaping to this idea of having a craft and really digging into it. Had you done different forms of creative things before that point? Yes, I had done scrapbooking. Um, I dabble with paints, painting. Mm -hmm. Um, I tried a lot of things with, you know, along with my mom, like I had done a little bit of sewing. I'm still not very good at it. Um, You know, handmade cards and just other things that would come up where I would think, oh, I wonder if I could make that instead of buying it, because that's something that I took directly from my mom. My mom is totally the make it before you buy it type person if she can help it. And I enjoyed that time spent. I love cooking and baking and anything where you take a set of materials and then turn them into something else. Mm -hmm. And especially if that thing is what I call, you know, the old way. So if this is something that people have been doing for a long time and there's a lot of history behind it, those things have been uh, appealing to me forever. So before finding yarn specifically, I've always been interested in that shifting of materials and that connection back to ancestral things. And um, I think I I really always had an admiration for the fact that my mom could just turn something simple into something more ornate or more complicated. To me, that's kind of magical. Mm. When I was young, I didn't appreciate it as much because I wasn't doing it myself. 
But as I got older and tried different things, I realized, wow, this is, these are skilled arts. And I had a greater appreciation for it then. So yeah, knowing that it was one of those things that it would take me time to learn that that learning curve was part of the hobby. And then, you know, my first wonky scarf was like its own thing. <laughs> Can you remember much about the learning curve? Like when you weren't presumably immediately like there were hard bits when you went, uh, you didn't I know do. what you were doing yet. <laughs> yep. I, you know, I remember two things very significantly. The first project that I took on was a crochet project and it was a shoulder to floor length lace dress. And I picked that because I opened a crochet pattern book. I saw it. I thought it was beautiful. I had no concept of what a beginner should crochet first. And so I went for it. And mm -hmm. I made it and I, I didn't know that it was supposed to be challenging. It just took me a little bit longer. I needed a little bit of help to understand the instructions, but I didn't look for a beginner pattern book. I just yeah. looked for a pattern book with something in it where I wanted the end result. Yeah. When I started knitting, I did the opposite. I started knitting one stitch type at a time. Okay, I want to learn to knit. And I've read a thing that says the two main stitches are knit and purl. So let me learn those stitches. And it was more a mindset of, I'm going to try to practice those two stitches and then go do these other things. Okay. Yeah. I found that harder mm. because I realized in reflecting on it, the things that I got out of it. So the wonky scarf was not useful to me. And so therefore mm -hmm. I wasn't attached to it. And I found the process more challenging when I realized that the outcome was not something desirable to me. Yeah. So it took me a longer time to get from that starting stage with learning knitting to producing things that I really liked. And once I got there, it was great, but it was a longer learning curve. Yeah. I feel like it's quite a common story I hear when I ask this question about people picking something that on reflection was really hard um, yeah. for a beginner to choose and I don't know whether that's just you know obviously I'm interviewing the people who stuck with the knitting not the people who did it once and abandoned it <laughs> right yeah but um I think it's almost it feels like actually the more experienced we get the kind of more scared we would have been <laughs> because 100%. the more you know <laughs> you would have been put because the more you know that's so dress. true yeah I I now am trying to correct that in the way that I teach mm. and try to empower people with starting where you'd like to like beginning as you mean to go on. So if you'd like to become a person who knits garments, don't, you don't have to do 40 projects and then get to a garment. You don't have to, you know, graduate to garment knitting. You might have some difficulty if you don't have all the skills in the beginning, but there's nothing wrong with that being your second or third or fourth project. I think many knitters rightfully so look at where they're starting and look at where they could be. And they put in a large gap between those two things. And the gap to me is really just time, skills, patience with yourself, right? Um, and some people I think approach it as the, everything about this is unknown to me. And so therefore it's hard, which is not always true. <laughs> yeah. You know, do, do you know these people that pick things up like that? My youngest daughter is like that. She often talks about the fact that she loves diving into something that she has no idea how to do because the outcome is so much more satisfying. 
She did that with crochet herself. Yeah. Kids are better at that, I think. A, I think, think because they're so practiced at doing things they've never done before. And I think as grown-ups, we just get, we practice the stuff we're good at and avoid the stuff we, we haven't tried or are bad at. And we can it's get true. into a kind of comfort zone where we don't push ourselves out of that and just remember what it feels like to be clueless about a thing that you've never done before and that that's Completely. all right. <laughs> and when I teach others to, I tell them, I don't expect you to be patient with yourself. I don't expect you to, you know, feel good about being a beginner who's messing up. I'm just going to constantly remind you that we all started here. You know, everybody started and it was difficult and unknown. And that's the best comfort I can offer you. <laughs> yeah. And I think there's a lot to be said for picking a project that you actually want uh, to yes. work on, like colors, you know, pick a nice yarn that you're interested in working in that a yes. color that speaks to you. <laughs> and if I had it to do over, that's what I would change. And don't pick a scarf that you're going to lose your motivation. You know, I'd struggle to be motivated to knit an entire garter stitch scarf because yes. I'd lose my mojo halfway through. Same. Less than halfway. <laughs> Let's face it. Um, yeah. So it has to be something that you can, yeah, probably finish with before your motivation runs out and that you're interested in having. And for some folks, that is a small, simple project. And I, there's totally room for that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And did you carry on knitting? Did you do both? Carry on doing both crochet and knitting? Um, I left the crochet behind pretty quickly. And it's, it's, I love conversations like this because it is a opportunity for reflection for me. It has everything to do with the kinds of patterns that were available at the time. And so early on, I was interested in hats and socks and sweaters, and I just liked the fabric and the texture of the patterns that I saw for knitting for those yeah. things. Um, crochet is quite three-dimensional. Yeah. And the patterns at that time, so, you know, early 2000s, I'm sure that if I looked hard enough, I could have found gorgeous garment patterns, but the ones that I particularly came across didn't appeal to me aesthetically. And so the crochet dropped off. I love the speed of it. <laughs> and I did love, you know, blankets and other things, but for wearables, knitting was much more interesting to me. Um, and then I, I think that maybe some of it was, it became my individual thing. Whereas crochet and sewing were something that I picked up some of that from my mom and knitting was not something anyone else in my family does or has done. And so it became my thing. And I met, you know, knitters because of it. So I met a new community of people as I went on. Yeah. So you've stuck with the knitting more because it, yeah. you were kind of more attracted to those things and the like identity of being the unique knitter in the family. And yes. why do you knit? Like, what does it give you in terms <sighs> of thinking about your, does it, does it give you something for your mental well-being? Yeah. So I, I would just say for anyone who's listening that knows me or has interacted with me, this is not going to be surprising to you, but I got goosebumps when you asked me that just now. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, oh, here goes Marcelin with the woo. There's a bit of woo in it for me. Um, I want to hear all about that. 
Yeah. So why do I knit? I knit because it is a grounding practice for me. And I knit because knitting and yarn fiber really now is my community. There is a whole community that has opened up to me because of this very simple material and craft. And I knit to stay within that circle. It's a very grounded, peaceful place for me. Yeah, it's a connection, a connection point. Mm. And it sounds like there's something also personally grounding, as in in the moment of knitting. Yes, definitely. Um, I am not a naturally calm person. Uh, I tend to, less so now as I get a little older, but I tend to naturally kind of push through, rush through, climb, strive uh, instinctively. And so a lot of my experience growing up and starting work and other things, now I feel like I missed some of that. I was there and I was doing things, but I wasn't all the way present. Um Knitting does not, knitting something that I want to wear or gift or, you know, offer as a design, it does not respond well to that kind of approach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it needs mindfulness. It needs time. It needs patience to restart. Um, to do it well requires, you know, digging in, uh, being grounded, being more almost more still, you know, to sit down Mm -hmm. and get into your hands requires a presence that lends to other parts of my life. So that calming effect is something I've recognized more and more that I need as a balance. Most of us can't fight our natural instinctive way of approaching things. I certainly can't. But if you have a counter to that, that serves you, then that's a good thing. And and knitting serves that purpose for me. Mm. And I guess it is a kind of busier way of being still and in the moment. (laughs) Yes. I am not the person yet who could sit and meditate for hours without moving my hands. Or, you know, I'd be the one in like a meditation retreat who just needed to be in a corner by myself humming or something (laughs) that was not complete silence and stillness because I can do silence and stillness, but for a short period of time. Sure. So silent brain and moving hands, good combination for me, (laughs) you know, quieter environment, but clicking needles. Yes. I'm totally in. (laughs) That's your happy place. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And does it matter for you what you're knitting um, in terms of in any given moment? Yeah. Um, you know, I have to say it does because I'm, I'm calling on an experience when you ask me that of recently having knit some stockinette socks. And so I would like to say it doesn't matter the project as long as I'm knitting, but the truth is that each project serves a purpose for me as well. So I have the project that is just meant to bring me back to a space. Like I put my sock project on the couch because after I leave work, I have a thing that's waiting for me and calling me into a quieter space. And it's not going to require much ramp up time to get into it. But then there are other times where if my mind is noisy or life is a bit busier, I can't necessarily shut the brain work off, but I can shift where it's focused. And so I want something complicated or I want something that's going to require I do math or I want something that's going to require me to um, dig in, like modifying a sweater is going to require me to dig into measurements and plans. And so the busy mind is still 
useful to me, but it's focused on this thing that I like, you know, that, that isn't an obligation. Yeah. So each project has a different purpose. I do know I have friends that it doesn't matter. You just hand them the yarn and the needles. And as long as they're doing that action, they are quite happy. Um, it's different for me. The, the project is the thing that kind of determines, determines for me, you know, whether I want to pick it up at that time. Mm. I think I feel very similar that I definitely need something more complex that I can, mm-hmm. like you said, I love that way of like re- redirecting your busy mind yes. to something that's yes. challenging, but not stressful. Yes. Um, I've tried. I've tried because I have such an appreciation for that therapeutic effect of handcraft. So I've tried to make more of a meditative practice out of some projects um, I can talk about, though your viewers can't see it, I'll talk about this hat that I'm working on. Yeah. I told Mia the funny story of how I'm I'm knitting this hat because I didn't want to log its yarn ball in my stash inventory. So I'm just <laughs> turning it into something instead of letting it stay in yarn form. But I started it to be a simple project. I cast on the ribbing like you do for a bottom-up hat. And I was going to knit it in stockinette. I really was. <laughs> <laughs> But then I thought, well, I could knit it in stockinette, but every 10 stitches I'll put in a twisted purl stitch so that this hat can be worn in reverse with some twisted knit stitches on the outside in columns. And so when I think about that, it's like I went into it thinking, I just need a simple project to finish up this ball of yarn, but that's not where my brain or my hands wanted to be. It wanted to be figuring out what could I do that is still simple, but would have an aesthetically pleasing element to it mm-hmm. so I, I just go with that I'm sure that there will come a day when a stockinette hat start to finish is what I need but yeah you know so <laughs> I'm trying to like honor this moment it sounds like you're very good at tuning into what you need in any given moment from your knitting yeah I'm better at it now mm-hmm. um I used to I used to do a lot of what I call external processing so just checking in with other people of what my shoulds should be should I be mm-hmm. doing this should I be doing that is this good is this okay um I'm getting better at uh having that conversation with myself and I don't want my craft ever to feel like a burden or an obligation because it doesn't need to be that it's not my full-time work um it brings me a lot of joy and so I don't want to color it with anything that feels heavy necessarily. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, tuning in and talking to myself about any given project is something probably as recent as three or four years. I can think of just before pandemic time of um, claiming more reflection time for my making. Why do I want to make this? Is this yarn that's in my stash, the yarn that really calls me into making? Is there another craft that might offer me something? That's how I got into spinning. (laughs) You know, just reflecting on what this fiber is, what I want to turn it into. What is the the wardrobe situation? Like what's missing in my wardrobe that I'd like to be able to fill in with my own hands? I really started encouraging that kind of reflection for myself a few Mm. years ago. And what is your relationship like with the finished object so are you making for yourself to wear sounds like for the really? most part yes yeah. yeah for the most part um 
more and more I've done more designing. I've designed sock patterns. I've got, you know, hats and a couple mitts and other patterns that I've done. So it's a little more split now between making for the purpose of sharing that design with others and making for my own um, wearables. I still do some gifting, not, not a ton. I believe that we should get rid of the term selfish knitting. I do a lot yeah. of self love knitting. I think knitting for yourself is self loving and it, for me is a study an exploration like to knit a garment for me is an exploration in sizing in the silhouette that I like in fit um you know what does it take to make something that I reach for in my closet all the time and there's a lot of trial and error in that so that's where I spend a lot of my time now uh aside from get this ball out of my stash count hats <laughs> I do. I do more garments and some accessories too for myself. Mm. And yeah. I'm interested in, um, I guess for me, one of the unexpected things about knitting. So I knitted, I think I, I started a very similar time to you actually. Um, okay. But for quite a while, I didn't knit garments. It was more accessories, shawls, gifts. Yes. And I was a bit scared, I think, about knitting something that would have to have a very like specific gauge that would have to fit like a human body <laughs> in any right. way other that was more forgiving than a hat you know and um when I started doing that then I ended up with things that I could wear like daily and really realized right. it made a really big difference to how I felt like I felt I always say I feel 20% happier on a day when I'm wearing something I made myself which is basically all the days now and that's, that's awesome. why I learned to sew because I was filling in the summer. <laughs> um, right. I think with, that's fantastic. I, I bet they could clinically study that and yes. put some numbers to that. That's and pretty cool. Through the podcast, I've had various conversations with people who talk about it as like a shield um, mm. in the outside world or a kind of all these different ways people have, but this kind of specialness. Right of wearing yes. something you made yourself. And I, I'm interested yes. in your relationship with that, what it feels like for you. I, I appreciate that context. And also, I just want to pause to say good for you investing enough time in doing something that was scary at first that has now given you that payoff. I think that's incredible <laughs> and should not be taken for granted. So good on you. Um, my relationship now, I think, is twofold. One is back to what I was saying before about my appreciation for things that were and the old way. Mm. Um, I feel that some of us need to preserve these ancient crafts and these um, not even so much what physical handcraft you take on, but a mindset that says, let me make this before I just purchase it or consume it from some unknown place with unknown provenance. Let me be the one to put this thing into my closet or into another person's hands. I have such a significant appreciation for just that thing, which is broader for, for me than knitting, but definitely applies to my knitting. Yeah. And then the other one, as you talked about, is how I feel in my clothing, how I feel moving around in the world. Um, similar to you, I was intimidated by garment knitting because I don't fit what were the standards? They're getting much more broad now in terms of options for garments. But at the time that I started knitting, I felt that there was kind of a limited silhouette. And between time being an athlete that didn't have the same proportional body measurements as people with, you know, my, my bust measurement or my waist measurement and fluctuations of motherhood and childbearing and, 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 
it was very intimidating. But now, especially that I've decided to focus on it anyway, I feel better in my body. Um, I feel proud of the skill itself, which Mm -hmm. is so visible when something fits you well, and you've had to modify it in order to get it to that point. That's a point of pride for me. Mm. So my, my relationship is that with creativity, you're not always going to love the outcome. I recognize that, Mm. but when you do, it is an unmatched feeling. Like there's just nothing like that. I guess the cherry is if someone notices (laughs) and comments on it, (laughs) that would be like the little bonus. (laughs) Yeah. And it's funny, isn't it? Because that does feel like a little bonus, but I don't even feel like it's always, I don't even, I don't need that bit. No, if you've done it, if you've done it in the right way for you, you've already given yourself so, so much. Mm. Um, And, and then I think my, broader, maybe a third kind of broader relationship is that connection point that I talked about before, which is my relationship to knitting is it's a thing that has brought some significant people into my life that I can't think of another way that I would have met them or come across them. And now I can't imagine them not being part of my life. So it has, it has um, given me a different circle and one mm. that I cherish from a community aspect. So I I have gratitude for it because mm. of that. Yeah. Was that something you'd expected or was that kind of a surprise? No, because I feel like I was entering the knitting world at a time where knitting help and other forums and threads were just getting, just taking off. Um, where people were talking to each other about their crafts in an online space. So a broader space than physically going to meet up, you know, in a, a knit group or something like that. So it wasn't on my mind when I started the craft. It it came to me like it was a solo thing. You know, yeah. you you pick up this skill and you work at it and you make things. The concept of, of knitting groups and retreats and, you know, sharing your patterns outside of like this traditional book format. I didn't know any of that when I started and I didn't even, I didn't know well enough to seek it out. I feel like it found me. <laughs> yeah. I felt the same actually. It was much later that I taught some people who were, you know, a bit younger than me to right. knit and right. they immediately did things like look on YouTube, which had not existed right. when I learned to knit. <laughs> Or go on Instagram, yeah. and I, which I'd assumed was for people to look at pictures of celebrities or like weight loss. I didn't even, I had right. excluded it as something that was not for me. <laughs> and yeah, then yep. this whole world opened up when I realized, oh, you could go on there and look at knitting patterns or see stuff totally. other people have knitted and find inspiration and other people yes. all over the world who are interested in this. Thing. Yes, I feel such immense gratitude. It, it and it has unfolded because those things that you just described are are parts of that community I talk about. I've met friends through Instagram, and the way that those layers have come about amazes me when I think about it. I've moved from uh, people want to talk about this, so you share a picture and you talk about what you've made, like when blogs were really popular, and you get all these details and someone's thought process behind a project. And I thought, well, that's amazing. And then knitting groups, it's like, well, we're all going to take time out of our lives and go sit together and stitch. And when we're doing that, we talk about everything but the project. <laughs> and so we're discussing all of these life things and recognizing things we have in common just because we all showed up with our project bags. 
And so you can imagine that things like knitting retreats out in the woods where we do that and then go for a hike just blew my mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, I, where have I landed? <laughs> <laughs> I think probably the, the, the next piece for me was, do you mean that if I take notes on something, someone else will want to use those notes <laughs> and go make that thing? What are you saying? <laughs> yeah, they yeah, might be in a, on the other side of the world even. Exactly. So cool, isn't it? It's amazing. I think for many of us who went through, you know, stay-at-home orders and all of the pandemic at-home time, I hope that, like me, many folks had their world genuinely open up because I was in classes with people around the world for me. Um, I, you know, I was exposed to just more people doing this craft because they had time to, to take it up or to spend more time doing it and, and jumping on a zoom meeting and having people from 10 different countries became a normal thing. Mm. I felt so lucky that one of the things that, you know, I really rely on for my mental well-being was something I could still do, you know, in that time. Yes. Oh, my goodness. I can say it now. Maybe I won't upset too many people, but I had conversations with friends several months into 2020 saying, I'm okay. If this is what I need to do, if I need to be in my home with my stuff to stay safe and keep others safe, I'm I'm okay. I'm grateful for that. Mm-hmm. And I know that it was not that easy for everybody. Sure. I sure felt a lot of gratitude for having that option. Yeah. And I think the also the ability to kind of think actually to use that knitting intentionally to think about what yes. do you need in this moment. And I think right. that was where I ended up knitting something super complicated <laughs> because, mm-hmm. I, you know, the world was scary and unknown. <laughs> yes. And I needed to focus all that anxious brain energy on something that oh someone's given me the instructions for this thing <laughs> great that's right so I'm <laughs> going to do tackle following this. instructions <laughs> yes that's such that an affirmation and a comfort that's that's yeah. excellent and I think for many of us we we gained maybe even more appreciation <laughs> for having that yeah so it sounds like you've also grown more intentional in your knitting practice over time yes. Definitely. I now talk a lot about normalizing long-term making. And in my podcast, I mention how we now have so much access and it's good for many reasons, but it can also color your view of what it takes to make something. So if you go to someone's Instagram account and the first picture they post is yarn balls and needles, and the next picture they post is a finished color work sweater, you don't have all of that in between time. You may not have a full understanding of what it took to get that finished project. And I've heard many people say, if I post all of the in progress things, that seems boring. I don't know if anybody wants to engage with that. Um, And I'm starting to take the opposite view. Like let's celebrate the fact that this thing took tens of thousands of stitches. Let's celebrate the fact that it, any time in a project, you could be feeling very differently about it than you felt yeah. yesterday. I I connect to that and I know others connect to that reality as well. Um, and then for myself, I'm trying not to just produce things. I'm feeling more conscious of the fact that I don't need 11 shawls. Yeah. 
someone, someone else. That's not a judgment. I want to be clear that my own reflection is very specific to me and I share it because I do know that others relate to it, but I realize that there's certain things I don't need in multiples because I reach for the same shawl that I love every time. If it gets chilly, I'm going in my closet. I'm picking that same one. Mm -hmm. Um, Same with sweaters. Sweaters take me a long time to make. I'm not a fast knitter. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned before, I often have to do a lot of modification. So I have to think, am I willing to spend potentially months with this particular pattern or for this design Um, before I invest in it? I want to be more intentional about that. Mm -hmm. I, I love that word. And I, I am trying to lend that now to my design work. I I have been doing it somewhat, but I want to do it more. You know, what is it that I want to offer to the knitting community by way of this design? I've done a lot of sock patterns because I find human feet, they could not be more different from each other. And so concepts about knitting to fit your feet, knitting with materials that you like, um, I talk about using alternative yarns if you don't necessarily want to use superwash and nylon combinations. So in those pattern deliverables, I want to offer someone something that they can take into the rest of their knitting experience, mm. a new skill, a new thought process, um, because there's certainly room for just sitting and knitting because that in itself brings you joy. But I think there's also room for a slower more mindful approach to the craft yeah I made a video actually to show just about the many months of taking something I'm not a fast knitter and you know for me it's not about the destination anyway right right, (laughs) and I was knitting like a basically a Christmas sweater that I Mm -hmm. started in January last year and I can't remember when I finished it it might have been September October September maybe yeah maybe a bit later and I was I had got it to a state I wanted it to fit a certain way. It was right. not because I'd modified the pattern to have all over color work. So the tension, it was the floats were tighter than gotcha. in the pattern. And I included the video of the unraveling the entire torso of the <laughs> color work sweater and the re-knitting it and the months, you know, as I went through. Yeah. And I love that. That was my knitting. <laughs> and I was okay with that because. You know, it wasn't about the end product. Right. It's more special to me because of the amount of time I spent with it. We had a long relationship. (laughs) That's right. That's right. It sounds like you welcome that too. Like you, it sounds like you were pretty settled into that. Yeah. I think I've definitely got better, like more accepting of A, because I know I'm going to knit, you know, if I was cast away on a desert island with a ball of, you know, one ball of boring colored yarn and some needles I would be knitting that and ripping it out and re-knitting it because the knitting process (laughs) would that's what you that's what you need from it yeah that makes sense and obviously I want to be able to wear a hand-knitted Christmas jumper and I'm hoping I'm going to have a long relationship with that jumper for many years right I think that is the that is the the balance for other other folks who feel you know very good in producing a lot so I'm always going to say like there's room for all of it yeah exactly and that's Um, the brilliant thing about knitting isn't it that if you're somebody who what you get out of it is the sense of achievement of finishing a thing then there's space for that (laughs) 
There is, there is. And there's space for my projects that take nine months. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I often think about the folks who um, who are just coming to the craft though. And I, I want to be authentic in, if they find me and they're new to knitting, I, I just want to be authentic in my experience, my why and how I approach it. Because I do believe there should be multiple voices in that conversation. I often worry is a strong word, but I have a concern that if someone is coming to the craft new and the only message they get is you need a large yarn stash, you you need to have multiple projects on the needles, um, you know, you've got to knit this kind of sweater or that kind of sweater in order to feel like you're really doing it. I'm concerned about anyone coming to the craft and only hearing that message because that's not going to resonate with everyone. Yeah. Um, and they might miss some beautiful parts of the craft itself. So, you know, for each of us in our own way to have a voice and to present our why, I think that gives a fuller picture. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and in whatever way that might be, you may not be an Instagram prolific person, but your message might come through just in sharing one-on-one -on -one with somebody yeah. about your your craft yeah and certainly in the kind of more uh, therapeutic knitting groups I've been running I've been very much in the sense of you know you need to figure out what you need from your yes thing. I love <laughs> and that's that. the right knitting for you <laughs> I love that to me having that aspect of knitting as a therapeutic element makes it um there's an attachment there because of what can carry over into the rest of your life and so therefore if it has that element for you, it, it's probably going to be something you keep, you keep up, you know, mm. if it serves you in a very therapeutic way, um, it, I would think it'd be more sustainable for you as a thing to do. I've certainly started and abandoned things. And I think that that was probably because it didn't serve enough parts of my life or brain or, <laughs> or uh, instincts. And so, you know, I put it to the side. Um, but I've been doing this now pretty consistently. So, yeah. And maybe there'll be a time when it is the right thing and you go back to it and maybe it won't be. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I think that that's great, right? That it can be that too. Yeah. You can pick it up and put it down. Yeah. And probably because you and I have had relatively long journeys so far with knitting, uh, that probably what we've needed from it over time has kind of changed. It's not always been the same. Absolutely. It, it really has, um, you know, peak pandemic time, it had a role. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, new job, you know, starting a new job, it had a role. Just all these different areas of life definitely have some, there's some impact um, that it has that might be different. There are times now where I feel like I'd like to be even more in student mode. What can I dive into where I am fully beginning and I am, I'm doing it for the challenge of learning mm -hmm. and taking on a beginner mindset. Um, and there's a lot of things that I've knit. So I have certain skills already and those are now comforting because yeah. they're so well known to me. So where can I introduce a bit of spark and challenge to fire up the brain cells a little bit? Mm -hmm. so, so far, what I've come up with is getting all the way through a garment design that I've been working on for like two years and, um, <laughs> finally publishing that and the the study in that for me is the shaping the fit I talk so much about how important it is to make things that fit you and make you feel good I'm going to want to offer that 
uh, in that pattern. So people are sick of hearing me talk about it now, but it's because I'm a beginner at doing that, that it's just taking, I'm taking my time. And it's a whole (laughs) bunch of new skills, isn't it? Different to knitting, I guess. It really is. It really is grading and sizing and um, a sweater combines so many pieces and parts, really, when you think about it, there's so many elements to it. Mm. Yeah. Marcel, I'd love to ask about a significant knitting project for you. Can you think of sure. something that's been significant in your knitting journey? Yeah. Um, the first thing that comes to, I always like to go unfiltered. First thing that comes to mind <laughs> is my first and only hand spun sweater Okay. That, that I knit. And it's, it comes to, I know why it comes to mind is it was an exercise in repeat patience and um, like, gentleness and kindness to myself. Mm-hmm. I I have a hard time not being good at things right away. And both the spinning, uh, well, I would say mostly the spinning was the newest to me because I was spinning for an outcome, a project. I was okay. spinning enough yarn to make this sweater. And then once the spinning was done, it, it's almost like I needed the sweater itself to be significant because I had spent so much time creating uh-huh. this, this yarn and, uh, and I love it. The, the pattern is by someone I admire, a designer that goes by the name Anka Stricka. And I combined, I think six or seven different braids in the spinning. So there was color management and different breeds. And then in the knitting, uh, again, doing the shaping so that it fit me well. Um, I'm a little bit of a stickler about not having a lot of leftovers. So <laughs> yarn <laughs> management, like all of these, and it took me months and months to do it and to get it done. But I feel like a superstar when I wear that sweater. It's every moment that led up to it comes back to me when I put it on. Mm. And it couldn't be more yours could it it could not be more mine like I was I'm like who am I combining sheep breeds and braids and (laughs) and doing color theory and like who is this person yeah and there isn't another one on the planet the same was uh you know like I could have done all of that and it could have not been wearable and that would have been a tragedy but to have it fit was just the cherry on top yeah oh that's an amazing achievement yeah, thank you. I'm 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 just about ready to do it again. <laughs> yeah. I haven't I haven't done a repeat yet. I could see how like you pulled it off that time. You might think, oh, am I going back into the I know. Was that like beginner's luck? I don't know. Yeah. I'm sure it was. Yeah, it was a very soulful process. And the the beauty of being able to then share that with others and say, hey, listen, I didn't go into any of this with expertise and I mm-hmm. still did it. Um, to encourage other people to give that a try if they have that goal that was that was a nice bonus too yeah and that it's all the more meaningful for you yeah for totally it. yeah yeah um I always ask uh is there something you could tell me about that you do outside of knitting that's also for your mental well-being because I guess knitting can't ever be sure. the whole story yeah which is beautiful the story is the thing for me and um I would I would say probably the thing that very generally gives me a similar feeling and has those layers is just being outside mm. and, and moving my body. Well, I say that. So two, two versions of being outdoors for me. So one that's very active, like hiking, 
Mm -hmm. you know, being out in the woods and camping. And then one that is still outdoors and being inactive, which is like sitting by a campfire or sitting by the ocean um, or hiking to somewhere and stopping and just sitting Mm -hmm. to appreciate where I am. I, I am lit up by fresh air. Um, there doesn't even have to be sunlight. <laughs> I just like being <laughs> you can do it outside. Like, yeah, if I can see green or I can see water, mm-hmm. that has a significantly therapeutic effect for me. I'm I'm one of those people that that I love that reminder of how small I am mm-hmm. and how small my worries are. And being by an ocean does that for me mm-hmm. staring at right now we've recently had rains where i live um there hasn't been some for a while but it's rained a bit and we've had robins come to my yard so um if anyone doesn't know a robin is just a, this bird that has like a distinct red uh part of its chest so you you almost can't miss them because they have like this bright pop of red um at least when i can't remember if it's the male or the female but you can't miss them And when I tell you we've had probably one to 200 of them come to our yard, they're all, they're trying to dig up everything that comes to the surface after these rains. Okay. I could watch that for hours Mm. because there is nothing for me to do. I don't need to control anything. I don't need to make anything happen. I just need to sit here and, and watch them do their thing. Very therapeutic to do things like that Mm. for me. If you add the sound of a campfire or the sound of rushing water, I am you I'm golden. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that sounds lovely. And yeah, amazing. It's been awesome. So many of them. Yeah. And our yard is pretty, um, it's pretty green. And I'm reminded by seeing them here, like, this is a nice natural place that, that animals want to be in and birds want to be in. Yeah. <laughs> and that feels good. And I should also be outside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can really relate to that. Actually, I took a picture of some rabbits in the park this morning when oh. my dog walk and um, yes. yeah, and a bird of prey that I wasn't quite sure what it was. <laughs> I think yeah. I determined it was a red kite. But yeah, yeah, isn't it nice sometimes to just stop and appreciate something like that that needs no input from you? <laughs> just you know, you can ju- you just get to appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I feel like it's a good kind of you know outdoor. Like it's a, it's a very different experience, I suppose, to the knitting, isn't it? Yes. Like it's a good balancing. Yes. And often when I'm outside, I do, I like to be moving. I like to, you know, move my limbs. I'm grateful to be able to do that. And so being outside often inspires that for me. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas my knitting is, is much more stationary. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a good balance. Yeah, sure. Um, I've always started asking a question about your relationship to mistakes. Because I find oh. that's something that comes up a lot in knitting. And personally, I feel it's one of the things I've got better at as a result of knitting. In yeah. How knitting to handle and them. also in the rest of my life, like tolerating my own mistakes, let's say. Got it. Because I've got this baseline assumption that everyone in knitting will make mistakes, that they will come and you'll have to sort them out. <laughs> yes. I don't yes. know. What's your relationship to mistakes? Oh, I love this question so much because it's a it's a marker of uh, change in my answer. So um, early on and pay, probably like the mid part of my knitting, I was I would be very hard on myself if I realized that I had missed a repeat or done sizing incorrectly, any mistake like that, or misread a pattern. Like I would even beat myself up for that. Which now t- the now me 
thinks that that makes no sense. <laughs> I was taking on something for the first time, you know, who is setting this expectation of perfect execution? It's yeah. it's only me. <laughs> the knitting police have not yet shown up at my door either. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and and I've given a talk about this and it, it's, I call it the love language of making. We are so hard on ourselves at times about things that no one else would comment on either because they don't notice or they can relate to the mistake and really only want to commiserate with you, not for the purpose of calling out, you know, some character flaw that you have because you made that mistake. So I feel like I've graduated to a space where I don't beat myself up as much or for as long. Like I might, oh shoot, I cannot believe I did that, you know, and I can move on from it. And I've graduated to the point of, I will frog an entire project. If that is what it's going to take to get the right outcome. I was definitely in the beginning, the person who would say, you know what? It's fine. I can't bear to go back to that. I have spent all of this time. I'm emotionally invested in this item. It's fine. But what I realized is those are the things that I won't pick up and wear. Okay. So it wasn't actually fine. Right. It wasn't fine. And now to stay true to my value of making things that I want to wear, only making enough of what I need, it makes sense to me to rip and redo. Um, and I don't, I'm not as hung up anymore on the fact that that's what the decision has come to. So there's the stage of like, I'm not ripping it and I'm not redoing it. Then I had the stage of I'm ripping it and I'm upset about that for days and days and days. Yeah. And now I'm at part where it's like, okay, I can see that this is the best way to go about it. I'm not happy. It is, it is a pause point at least. Sure. But I'm, that's what we're doing. And, and once I get started pulling that thread out, I'm fine. Okay. So it sounds like you've got to a point of kind of acceptance. Yes. Yes. And almost, you know, almost appreciation because Working with yarn, the idea that at one time, again, in the old way, people did that on purpose. Like, I need to reuse this yarn now for something else, or I need to rip off this hem and make it longer to fit this growing child. Or, you know, there was a place for purposely uh, calling on that material to go again. Mm. And that was actually a positive thing. And I can really appreciate that now. I have a, a project that I'm working on and it is with yarn that I ripped from another sweater that sat in my closet for a very long, long time, unworn because it didn't fit me well. Now it's being knit into something that I cannot wait to put on. To me, that's totally worth unraveling all of that yarn and yeah. soaking it and reskeining it and, and going again. Yeah. I did that and re-knitted the exact same sweater, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Just without the ridiculously baggy sleeves that were not what I wanted right. and meant that I didn't Which, wear. Those sleeves might have, I mean, that might have changed whether or not you touched that thing again, yeah. you know, afterwards. Yeah. And I thought, well, you know, that's the thing. The, the joy was in the process and of wanting a thing that I'm happy to wear at the end. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I know that not everybody um, has gotten there yet, but I hope they can because I am grateful. It feels like a more peaceful place. And I do find that it's also informing 
the kinds of yarn that I buy, you know, the, the kind of yarn that could be ripped back out and re-knit several times um, in colors that go with most things in my wardrobe. You know, it, it informs those kinds of choices as well. And the sweater that I'm remaking is this gorgeous charcoal gray. And the old sweater is many years ago now, but I still love charcoal gray. I will still wear whatever that yarn turns into. Yeah. That helps. And I, I really love the idea that this connection to the old way of doing things, as you call it, mm-hmm. that that has kind mm-hmm. of helped you to get oh, yeah. the old way yep. has helped you to make your peace with mistakes as well because you found a, a connection to oh this is how things have been done always actually <laughs> and that makes it feel okay it does it makes more it makes more sense to me yeah um I like everybody I love technology I work in technology and like everybody else I love some of our modern conveniences so much I'm so grateful for them but in other ways, um, like the how how much more disposable certain things are, that doesn't always resonate with me. I, I don't always want to participate in a come and go when it comes to materials. And so the idea that I go back to how things were done resonates with me, at least for, for my making. Yeah, that's brilliant. Um, yeah. I always end with asking, what is the greatest gift that knitting has given you for the rest of your life? A global community of pretty awesome people, including you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm so honored to be part of your community. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's I, I like I said earlier. I never, I couldn't have asked for that because I wouldn't have been able to articulate it. Yeah, and so it feels exactly like a gift. Imagine if you'd known that at the beginning. I'm going to the library oh my to goodness. pick up this book on crochet because I want a global community. <laughs> I, w- I would have done something silly like quit my day job. I'm like, I'm just going to go all in. If this is what it's going to give me, I don't want anything else. <laughs> I would have made some very silly, impractical decisions. <laughs> and everyone would have thought you'd gone completely yes, lost your mind. Like, I, I was like, no, you can't see what I see. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm grateful. It's one of those things that I think is sustainable too, because it keeps it keeps coming. It keeps coming with these different ways that I get to connect with people. And so a gift that keeps giving like that, I can be nothing but grateful for it. Oh, well, that's such a lovely place to end. Um, yeah. Mars, I'm sure there'll be lots of people who want to find out more about you and your designs and your YouTube channel. So how can they do that? Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to connect with anyone listening. I am Hey Brownberry, just about everywhere. I have the Hey Brownberry YouTube channel where I post my podcast. I uh, kind of video journal of my making and my thoughts and reflections. And I am Hey Brownberry on Instagram. And I have my patterns and designs both on Ravelry and Etsy. And the shop name for both of those is Hey Brownberry as well. Lovely. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to hear all of your reflections on knitting. Yeah, from watching your podcast, I knew that you were going to have some really brilliant insights and just be such a reflective person to have a conversation with. So I really appreciate that. You're so welcome. It it really has been my pleasure. I enjoy the conversation that comes with this community. And I think what you're doing is brilliant. I encourage you to keep going. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much.
you so much for listening to series four of the Why Knit podcast. It has been such a pleasure to get the opportunity to have these conversations with inspiring knitters and to be able to share them with you. Thank you to everybody who has emailed me or messaged me on Instagram to tell me that they've related to something we've spoken about or that they're enjoying the podcast and that knitting has also been a really important part of their mental well-being. If you'd like to find out more about my work, you can visit my website, which is therapeuticknitting.org. You can also support the podcast on Patreon by searching for Why I Knit Podcast. Or you can follow me on Instagram at knitting is therapeutic. Thank you.